Within This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and I'm here in Philadelphia on location, in location, on location. And today I have the privilege of being in conversation with activist, author, and notably chef. Please welcome Chef Kurt Evans. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me here today. I'm really excited to be here and uh, chop it up with you today. Yes, you you have uh, an exclusive gift there. There's only the first one that's gone out. Can I can I open it? Can I uh, open it? Please. All right. Because yeah, I, I know I didn't know how I was, was going to go. I was going to like wait till I got home. No, no, no. Instagram please open it. it like like an influencer like we talked about. <laughs> influencer driven. It might be a couple stickers in there or what have you, but... Uh, oh, stickers. I love stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right um, on the laptop. This, it's so ridiculous. Um, the only one... I have two of them. The other one I've not given and out. did you seal these yourself? I did. Okay, because I'm about to say, whoa, this this ain't like the uh, <laughs> sealing on the uh, whoo, uh, apron. <laughs> Bruh, listen. This is, this is going in the collection. <laughs> this is going in the collection. <laughs> Someone told me, it's like, why do you have aprons? I was like, because I like chefs. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is fire. This is fire. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, this is fire. No, listen, aprons. No, listen. I, I collect these, like, jerseys. Like, aprons. Like, anytime I do stuff, like, so this is going in, like, like the, with my, I do food and wine. I do James Beard stuff. Yeah. And I do, like, competitions and all that. Like, oh, I did this podcast, and I got an apron. Like, like literally, <laughs> I have, like, all my aprons and, and anything from events. So, like, I just start, like, wrapping them. <laughs> I, I might even have to frame this, John. I, like, hang, I hang up microphones, right? When I'm done with them, it's like I'm retiring uh, this mic. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, just just walked out the booth and spit some spit some fire. You know, this this mic is done. It's, it's like that bit when um, Jimi Hendrix burnt the guitar. It's yeah. like there's nothing left in this one. There's nothing left in this one. <laughs> Nothing left in his mic. So before we get too deep into the conversation, um, I, I want to um, open it up with something that either you're going to be terrified about, but you already said you got a hot 16, um, yeah. or you're going to have on deck. Give us the, the Kurt Evans story. Tell us the story and like ultimately, you know, how we get here. And I got some bullet points in there, but I at least want to start off with just a really general kind of elevator pitch story. Yeah. So uh, Kurt Evans, uh, born and raised in uh, Southwest Philly. Uh, moved to West Philly, Mill Creek Projects, um, but, you know, did a lot of going back and forth between Southwest and West Philly. Um, uh, went to high school, I mean, middle school, elementary school, uh, all in Southwest. Uh, then I get to uh, um, high school, uh, Bartram Communications, where uh, uh yeah, high school was high school. Uh, got a, got one of my first cooking jobs. Uh, my mother, uh, she worked for Airmark for about, uh, at that, at that point, about like 18 years. Yeah. She had worked for Airmark, so she like did a lot of uh, setting accounts up. So, uh, as a kid, I would go to, go to, uh, go to her job with her on the weekends and like, uh, be in the kitchen, uh, like, 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 just doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, but like going in there making stuff on like the little pizza uh, thing. Like none of her bosses was there, so it was easy for her to bring me. Yeah. And then I'd be like in the kitchen playing around. So, uh, yeah, like cooking has just always been my thing. Like third grade, I won a taco making competition. Yeah. Like, like I made, I won a taco making competition yeah. in the third grade. So it was like, and the funny thing is, in the third grade, that was the year, uh, I changed the spelling of my name. So this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is a funny story. Like this yeah. is like, I'm, I'm saying, I'm actually saying this somewhere on like, like I usually like tell somebody individually, but, uh, my, my third grade teacher walks up to me 
uh, I got like a, a good grade on the test. And she's like, that's the bricks. That's the bricks. <laughs> and she hands me the paper. <laughs> and she's like, bricks on it. That's the bricks. I'm like, I'm like, what, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> she was like, oh, oh, she's like, she's like, it's a rapper. His name Curtis Blow. He spells his name with a K. <laughs> I was like, word? I spell his name with a K? Yo. Literally, Yo. after she walked off, we started the day. Changed my name right there. Like, literally, as soon as she walked off, they let, like, go. And, you know, you got the name and date your yeah. paperwork. Yeah. You, you shifted the alphabet real quick. Really you? quickly. I was like, oh, you can spell it with a K? I'm like, yeah, it looked better with a K. Word. So then it was like, now everybody, like, called. It got to the point where it was like, through life, people was called, like, my friends was calling me K.E. Like, Kurt Evans. Like, yeah. K.E., K.E. And, like, it just stuck with me. So, like, like school records. Yeah. Like, if you used to, like, look my name up in the school system. Since the third grade, it's been spelled with a K. So, like, diploma's got a K on it. Yeah. And then, like, governmentally, it's Curtis Evans. So, <laughs> so you're the first. Now, we're not going to find you. A lot of people's going to, like, know that now. Like, I only told, like, people that because people, like, people know me. They're like, oh, Kurt. And then it, it'd be hilarious because, like, when you're doing business stuff, like, people writing you checks. <laughs> I literally be having, like, yo, I can't take that to the bank. <laughs> I, I mean, when, when people come back to me when I'm getting, like, funding and things of that nature, I have to use the full government. And yeah. it's, like, my, na- my name on here is part of my full name. Yeah, and they're like, "Yo, so what's the rest of your name?" I was like, "Oh, snap, boom!" But um, one of the things I wanted to do was this Hannibal Burris bit, and he was like, "I want to say Anibal instead of Hannibal." Yeah, and I want to put like an accent over the E in Robert Robert Robert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then suddenly Robert. I'm French. And French. Yeah. Now, now, now you're French. So yeah. So like pretty much that's it. And like I said, cooking came very easy to me from mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, my father, uh, uh, he grew up in the south then he moved to connecticut uh and when he moved to connecticut uh pretty much i uh, spent my summers up there and did a lot of country boy stuff like hunting fishing swimming yeah. so uh yeah so I, by the time like the age 12 i could already like like i like i was butchering deer mm. uh fish when we caught it so it was like like that was like and that's like also like a prime uh uh, aspect of being a chef is chef's butchery. So it was like, yeah. I was like butchering fish when I was like a kid. So it was like, yeah. as I got more into cooking and wanting to take it serious, it, it came super easy. So you're, you're picking up those skills, like, like as a way of bonding with family, whether it's like being in the kitchen at Aramark with your mom, doing the country boy stuff with your dad or what have you, and having some of that, you know, Southern stuff kind of embedded in there. So, you know, you also I've read that you've honed some of your skills in just being in many of the kitchens here locally. Yes. So what would you say your like first professional job was? Like tell me about that. So first professional job, <laughs> it, it was an airmark job. Mm-hmm. So it was airmark. Um and and uh at that time I was literally going around opening accounts up. So it'd be like airmark at children's hospital. So mm-hmm. children's hospital is the number one pediatric pediatric hospital in the world. So you can go to CHOP. And like work in any service department, whether it be like uh, environmental service, security, uh, the the kitchen, you probably make more at any of those departments than any other place in like the uh, the city mm-hmm. or the uh, state, pretty much probably because they're like they're like one of the highest paid. Uh, but like if you're like a nurse or doctor, for what I believe, they don't pay as much because like there's no money in pediatrics. It's like gotcha. if you work at CHOP, it's like going to Harvard. But if you like work in the service department, they pay you really well. So. I went there, but I was working for Airmark, and this is when I started learning business, as in, like, Airmark 
we'll cut you like Airmark and go to like Chop and like, yeah, we can get the job done for this. Yeah. You ain't got to pay them that. And then they get they, they middleman their money somehow. So, um, but yeah, I went to Chop. I was doing that. I was like a grill cook there. And then I went to University of Penn College, uh, 1904 Commons. And I was in the kitchen there cooking. And, um, it was funny because, uh, we, 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 they opened up a Airmark, still had like a Starbucks on campus. Yeah. So I slid over there for like a month and was a barista. <laughs> and I used to like, the kids at Penn used to love me because I was sitting over there like, I was giving them large coffees anyway. It was like, they ordered this, I was giving them that. I'm like, the name is Cameron. I'm just like, yo, Cameron. I got Cameron here. Or, uh, like, uh, it's like the key and pill skit when they're, uh, A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-
Yeah. All right, cool. I only, I only read about these. So then it was just like, cool. I start, I get down there. I start, I start making it. I start prepping it mm-hmm. as I'm cooking it. Next thing I take it to the chef. I'm like, chef, we're about done. He tasted it. He's like, he's like, good, good, good. So I was like, oh shit. That was, that was another one of those moments like, oh, all right, cool. I, I, I can do this. But it was yeah. just like, then next thing you know, it just got to repetition. It's like, oh, I had to make that bird block like another thousand times. <laughs> like, so you just keep making it. And like, that's what, like, that's the repetition in cooking is like when you keep doing something a million times, like, like a sweet potato pie, like I've made them a million times, bean pies. So it's like growing up doing that with my grandmother, mm-hmm. it's like second nature. It's like, I don't even have to like, I could just look at the potatoes in the, in like the oven. Like, yeah, I know that they need, they need to be longer. It's less like, you know, it's just the repetition of it. Yeah. Um, like, are you an intuitive sort of cook based on that? Like, uh, I'll say, you know, you'll see certain things in a refrigerator. I'm like, all right, what do I have in here? What can I make? What can I put together here? And, you know, sometimes it feels like, oh, I could put together a hash. And it's like, that seems a little like cheating. It's kind of like, you can make it well, it's a well done hash, but it's like, yeah, you kind of just put some things together. But, like, how creative does that intuition, like, allow you to be? It, it depends on where it's, where it's at. So if it's like if I'm in a restaurant yeah. setting or if I'm in like a, if I'm getting like the, the, the paid setting. Yeah, sure. It, it's, it, it, it clicks in a certain way. It could click at home. Yeah. But it's just like, not really. It's just like, you know, usually when I'm at home, it's like, because the wildest thing I could be making duck i could be making chefs like duck <laughs> i could be i could be making i could be making all types of fancy stuff and i'll go home and eat frosted flakes look don't get me started <laughs> so 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 let's talk about let's talk about this a little bit. let's talk about um you know philadelphia food philadelphia that sort of thing how how has like being here in philadelphia like you know we we talk about culture culture of a place how has like philadelphia like influenced your style creatively personally or professionally Oh man, Philadelphia, you know, it's, it's definitely influenced me because the amount of influx of like, uh, different cuisines that's here, like knowing different chefs, like a friend of mine, Christina Martinez, uh, her restaurant in South Philly Barbacoa, um, even over the pandemic, uh, in the beginning phases, uh, they bring their lamb in, like, so they, they slaughter their lamb and it'd be about like, 30 40 lamb yeah. and slaughter all of them so get there um and just learning technique technique is always important so you go places you learn technique and like we'll cook with her get the like understand their culture you know where they come from things uh other chef friends you know go like use you know hang with them talk with them but then also like when you eat their food you understand their culture you understand where they mm-hmm. come from so uh yeah that then also like uh, being a a black chef, Philly influenced that really well because uh, I had the opportunity to work for uh, two uh, black restaurateurs, the Bynum brothers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rob and Ben Bynum, um, who were like really uh, influential to me. I still talk like to this day, even though I, I left left and went to go work for another restaurant. But it was time for me to, it was time for me to like actually break off because it was like when you're in somebody's house, it's like you can't get bigger than them in their house. Yeah. So it's just like it was time for me to time for me to move on and go do my own thing. But um but yeah they they gave me like my first like big shot in a real big restaurant as a uh, black restaurant tours and black chef. 
And then also I'm big on that. Uh, I'm big on respect in, in generations because people, I think that's where we, that's where we go wrong a lot of times. It is no respect for the, the generation that came before. It's, These kids, they have no respect. Yeah. No, it, and then it's like that. And then it's like, sometimes it'd be disrespectful when people say like, like when, when, you know, we see all this protests and stuff going on. I'm like, yeah, cause we and our ancestors, I wish. And it's like, Really, bro? Really? <laughs> really? Because like, it's like, really, like, like I mean, our ancestors had so much, so much, like, strength to go through a lot of that stuff they went through. I, I feel like it's weakness just to go, like, yeah, I fuck, so I fuck somebody up, but they could have <laughs> did that, too. <laughs> like, they could have done that. Like, yeah. it wasn't like that they were, like, sweet. It's like they understood the mission. They understood what needed to be done. Yeah. So it was just like, so sometimes, like, I think, like, it's it's really uh, intergenerational. It's like a lot of different uh we don't we don't connect the dots. So it's like I'm always like if someone's like before me, I'm always like humble to like pay respects to them yeah. or like at least carry on like the legacy of work that other people have done. So yeah, that's and that's how I look at like cooking with activism and yeah. things like that as well. I think that's a that's a good place for us to kind of segue into some of the activism stuff. Um, you know, so I'm I'm reading about um EMI, um, I'm reading about everybody eats Philly. So let's let's talk about both of those. Like let's talk start off with uh, EMI uh, in mass incarceration, um, in mass incarceration uh, dining series and your work around criminal justice and reform in America. Let's talk about that. All right. So yeah. So like, uh, so I was at I was at a job. I was working at a job called Lincoln Art Hospital. Uh, and it was like I was really getting into cooking heavy. Uh, and one of the doctors at the hospital was like, Doctor Bill Circus, like still good homie of mine. He was like, he's like, yo, you've been here for like six years. He's like, I'm following you. You know, you you said you know you want to be cooking. He's like, yo, you should really get the cooking, and um, because you don't want to be here another six years talking about what you could have been. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn. I was like, yo, yo, that was like that. That hit me like, you right, you right. I was like, you know what, you right. I literally took a month, got my plan. I left there, and a friend of mine, Island Young, he had a restaurant called Route Twenty Three, mm-hmm. and. I, I took like income taxes, bought into his business and became partners and was doing Route 23. Yeah. So Route 23 or Route 23, um, just in there one day and I had already read uh, um, the new Jim Crow. And then at this time, like the college Browder story came out. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of things was coming out at this time about mass incarceration and one day we're like in Route 23 and like four PO officers came in hmm. because everybody we hired was formerly incarcerated. Yeah. So it was just like, and these were people we knew. Right. Like our friends it was like, yo, I need a job. So I started talking to Al about it. And I was like, yo, he's like, you know, we, if we don't hire them, who will? And he was like, people don't understand what these, what, what our people go through. He's like, nobody's built to take on, take on the, take on our people but us right. and from that moment i was like yo i want to do something that uh that uses my talent as a chef because you know at that point like chefs just want to put up f- cool food pictures on instagram so i was like no i wanted to make i wanted to do something uh using food as a, a way that i can um 
talk about these issues. So yeah. uh, previously, before I had worked on my friend Christina Martinez, her dinner series is called Right to Work for Undocumented uh, uh, Workers mm-hmm. uh, in Kitchens. So, you know, I put a, I, pour, I poured a lot of my personal time into that as in like helping them uh, get that off the ground. So I was like, I'm going to do the same thing with EMI dinners. I want to be able to use food as a vehicle to talk about mass incarceration. So started dinners. We would bring um, policymakers. Actually, the first dinner set the tone for everything. And I kind of didn't even didn't even know what was going to what what it was going to be. So like uh, at that time, Nina Ahmad, she was running for lieutenant governor, uh, uh, Sandra Reinhardt. Uh, and like a couple other political figures and like city, not city council, but like people that were running for office came to the dinner mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, hear what we were talking about, give solutions. And then we met with a lot of more people that had been affected by mass incarceration, whether they were the perpetrator of a crime or a victim. And it's a lot of different, it's a lot of narratives and the media that's been put out about mass incarceration. And a lot of these people wanted to come and share their stories. And what I feel like food and storytelling is like two things that are like, you can't beat that. Like, right. you know, you get, you get, you get a good meal. And then next thing you know, you're hearing someone's story and you're understanding you're, 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 you're connecting. And, uh, you know, most importantly, all of this is done with empathy. So it's like, everyone's here, uh, talking i sit people i make it uncomfortable as possible as well because then i've noticed like when i did go to those dinners you meet these white like voyeuristic people that's just like Mm -hmm. that i know for a fact when they left they go to work the next day like you know what i did last night i went to a dinner there was black people there and they talked about their feelings well pat pat on the back well pat on the back so nah i was like I'm sitting you next to somebody black that got trauma. Yeah. Here's some discourse opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like I was breaking husband and wives up. Like, no, you sit your wife is sitting over there, you sitting over here. I can, I can almost see it. Like, and as we switch courses, we will be switching seats. Seats. No, it was crazy. No, soon you come in. Yeah. So it's from the rip. No. Oh yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Y'all came no. together? Not good. Yeah. You here, you here, you and upstairs. Yeah, you right there, yeah, yeah. Switch everybody up. Yeah. And then like, you know. Make people uncomfortable as possible. I wanted people to be uncomfortable. I didn't want people to come and be like, whoo, man, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is this good. Is I'm ready great. to talk about mass incarceration. No. Ooh, I didn't. So let's just talk about the theory of prison. Like. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So it was like <laughs> getting people real uncomfortable was uh, really, really important. And uh, yeah, but it's been, it's turned out really well. I've been doing them for like the past six years now. Yeah. So uh, actually, I'm uh, moved into a new phase of them this year uh, where it's uh, called Stories of Resilience. Yeah. And we've been, um, every dinner always had someone that has been formerly incarcerated uh, host a dinner, pretty much come tell you their story, tell you what they've been through in their life. And at that point, we were raising money for bell funds, books through bars, uh, and other uh, nonprofits that deal with uh, things that have to do with uh, mass incarceration. Uh, my friend Ryan Hancock, he he founded an organization called Pulse Philadelphia Lawyer Social Equality. Mm-hmm. He's bought, his nonprofit has been a beneficiary of uh, the EMI dinners. We've raised money for them, several other uh, organizations, but. Um, this time I wanted to put money in individuals' hands yeah. that, that that are telling their stories. Because also uh a lot of the work that they're that the work that they do, it doesn't come with a financial attachment. Not to say that they're looking for it, but a lot of these people are putting uh a lot of uh uh I wanna say what is it, uh emotional yeah. labor into this. Cause a lot of these people 
that. So Donnell drinks. He was a juvenile lifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donnell, I don't misquote it. I think he did about 28 years. He's my old age from Nice Town. Uh, Donnell, uh, he founded a uh, nonprofit called Grown. His uh, sister, I mean, his uh, uh, co founder, uh, Oed Ike. Ike came out of jail a year after him. And now he's like an executive director in the nonprofit. So it's like they're constantly, constantly back and forth between Philly, Harrisburg. We got a lot of gun violence going on in the city. They're out here, uh, you know, out here on corners, providing resources, going places. Yeah. They're constantly fighting for their comrades that's back inside of prisons. So it's like it's a lot of work that come with emotional attachment to it. So it's like by telling your story, I wanted to be able to have this dinner, get your story out, and then also bring people that may have resources and the money that we raised tonight is given to them. Like EMI dinners, I make I make no money off of an EMI dinner. All of the money is raised and pretty much passed yeah. on. Yeah, we, we have this this thing here, and, and thank you for for breaking that down and sharing that with us because it's important work. And congratulations and uh, applause to you for doing this sort of work because um, we we have this thing where it's almost like forgotten people, yeah. and we have this idea. You know, how, like social media goes like you can block somebody, you can unfollow someone. We try to do that in real life. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, these are disposable people. It's like, no, their story has merit. Let's have an understanding of it because. Um, these sorts of things being like whether someone's a victim, whether someone is um, a, a person that has, has done some things or what have you, we all have some. It's not too many steps to get to someone who's in part of that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think I think it's important to be able to. And I think one of the things you said that was really interesting is this notion of like storytelling and food. It's it's a language like you, you were talking on earlier when you were kind of exchanging culture of like, this is how you guys prepare food. This is how you guys are going about this. That's kind of what happens in those EMI dinners, I would imagine. Yeah. And bringing in people who and having this notion of being uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, talk to a stranger. Talk to someone you've never met, someone that you may not have anything in common with. And you might learn something. You might now have a new understanding of what goes into some of these experiences. Um you know, you being up here, me being in Baltimore, one of the things I try to get to in doing this this podcast is people do this hard stop sort of thing. It's violent. Move on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what's baked into the violence? What systemic things are sitting there? What opportunities have these people not getting? You know, why the desperation that's there? Why can't they find a job? What are these different things that go into it? And instead of having the approved upon narrative that's coming from someone who has politicized it or whatever. I read to hear from the person. What is their story? Mm-hmm. What have you experienced? Because oftentimes they may not have had a chance to share that story. Yeah. So, um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, so if you couldn't be a chef, I want to shift into the, the chef thing again. If you couldn't be a chef, right? What would you, are you passionate enough about that? You could say, you know what? This could be, uh, the other career. This could be my career if I wasn't in the food industry, if I wasn't in the hospitality industry. I would I would want to be a hunter, a bow hunter, a professional bow hunter. That was unexpected. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I thought you were going to say, maybe, you know, social work, maybe, you know, prison advocate. Like, no, nah, I want to be a bow, bow hunter. Bow hunter. Hi, Katniss Everdeen. Bow hunter. Okay, I'm, I'm here for it. Just the funny thing is, I just realized like it was like a they they classify it as a sport now. 
They classify this for like Under Armour. Like they're, 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 you can get like a contract through Under Armour. Okay. I mean, come come on to Baltimore, man. Hook you up. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like it's like wow. Like you could be a hunter. Like you could be like 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 that whole experience of just like being out in in the nature. Yeah. Uh, it is not so much of like okay another thing like a hunter. I don't want to be just like um. I don't want to be a trophy hunter. I never want to like uh just do it for the sport of it. Yeah, do it for the sport of it. Actually, like. Cause then it's like kind of crazy. Cause then it's like if I'm a hunter, the whole point is like, cause I can't get away from food. Like I would like pretty much gotta break this deer down, real break quick. it down, and then like like serve people like in need. This is venison, bro. Yeah, like this ven- <laughs> and then it's like what I learned is people that people that like really food insecure they don't go fuck. <laughs> it's like yo, what kind of taco is this? Yeah, I bet. All right, bet. Yeah, it's ground. It's, it's grounded, right? It's yeah, gra- cool. Like ground. Yeah, what kind cool. of slice you got in there? Yeah. Onions? Cool. All right. But that's it. That's I don't eat that cilantro, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't eat that cilantro. I don't be eating that cilantro now. <laughs> I eat that cilantro. <laughs> that's that one thing. I yeah. I, I remember um, it was one time my, my partner, she she was out there. Um, we were going to like some super pretentious place. And <laughs> she traded a sandwich for like a really funny quote. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like certain there's a guy who was like outside or what have you. And he was just like hungry. And she had like this um, sandwich that ultimately was going to her son. And she was like, I should give it to him. And I was like, you do what you do. Like, you know, come in here. if There's something goofy happening because, you know, it's just like East Baltimore. So he she gave him the sandwich and he was like, man, he's looking at this guy across the street. He's like, yeah, thank you, man, for doing this. I'm looking at this guy and his you know pants are hanging off his butt. I don't know why. You know, usually, you know, I wouldn't be advertising like he is or what have you. You know, this guy's out here advertising. Somebody might go in his in his pocket, if you will. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Wow. I was like, that's the quote. I was like, wow. I was like, that is that quote, that idea that he presented there, <laughs> that that stream of logic has stayed with us. And food was part of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we learned this from exchanging food. This guy could have just been like, "Thanks," and kept it going. Yeah. But he was like, "No, nah, I need to chime in. Here's something that you're gonna stick with you, and it stuck with us for like two years. That wow. that's a bit now that we kind of use in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that someone's gonna go in and make they may take your belongings out of your wallet. I don't know. So let's talk about obstacles. How do you when, when you when you encounter an obstacle, right? And I'd imagine like in in working with some of the work that you're doing in terms of activism, people are talking about obstacles, obstacles within their lives, obstacles that have really, you, you talk to somebody that's like, yo, I've been away for almost three decades. That's a big obstacle when it comes to when you're out, you're, you know, trying to adjust to what life is now. I look at that time travel a bit when it's like, yo, I went in in 2005 and it's like, this, the trends have changed yeah. like a lot. You cannot wear your G unit tank top. It's done. It's done. So, how do you approach obstacles in, you know, like in your life or in like maybe imparting knowledge upon a person? How do you look at obstacles? I look at obstacles as like, um, especially certain, like a lot of obstacles like aren't like, uh, they're not like, uh, they're not like new obstacles. Like they've not, been around before. So it's like always like, I like, I like looking at history. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, you gotta be a student of like life as well understanding like what what came before you um how this may play out after you like i think another thing with obstacles is instead of just like tacking it head on you know sometimes you got to like take a look back you got to take a step back got to see the whole picture yeah because then maybe like the obstacles like you run on head forward and then like it's like this wall right here yeah but you're only seeing it by like 10 by 10 but if you 
take another step back further, you might just be able to walk around the wall. <laughs> it's it's like the it's like the iceberg kind of analogy, right? Where you look at it and you're like, I see all of it. Let me go after this. And you're like, oh, oh, oh I didn't look, look at it long enough. Yeah, you didn't look at it long enough or far enough. Yeah. So um I think that's how I like I like to like look at any situation. I'm never I'm not too much a hot headed person where it gets to the point where it's like I gotta make a decision on something now. Yeah. Uh I look at time differently. Like people people and I, maybe because it's like the maybe it's the the uh, it's the the time that we're in where it's like, oh man, I'm 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 about to be forty. Oh no, I'm about to be fifty. I gotta do this before this. I gotta do this, and it's like it's like if it happens, it happens, yeah. you know. But I think when people like uh, put it on a like a forty year version, it's like you putting the pussy on the pedal stool. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think when you when you put it on a pedal stool, you you kind of like you 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 lose focus on actually like the actual goal of like yeah. actually getting it done. Because whenever you get the thing done, whatever the thing might be, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. You're like, wow, this is so great. Why do you feel hollow though? Exactly. Why do you feel unhappy? And something I because I'm a big ebook guy, right? I was listening to this book um, on the way up here because, you know, I'm like, I'm going to make use of my time and um, get off TikTok and just do whatever I do. And it, it was one thing that the dude was getting across. He was like, you know, some people will think the thing that they're driving at is money or oil or great jewels or what have you. He's like, no, you're driving at love. He's like, be more intentional. He's like, don't look at love as this one, you know, idea. Look at it as something broader. And that's something that, there's almost in 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 a an infinite like way to get love. You know, you can meet different people in exchange. That could be tier one, and then you can be in a romantic situation. That could be tier two, three, or four. But you know, going after money, it's like, okay, I got this. Now, what's the next milestone? I got my first million. Now I need my second. Now I need my third. And you just kind of keep going after it, versus it feeling like, oh, these interactions, people matter. Social capital matters. I love social capital. Yeah. I feel as though your social capital can um, take you places that money can't. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, people people view things as a way of they have to like. Uh, like I said, I, I have friends that are be like, "Oh man, you know about like the dinners," and it's like, "Oh man, I don't I don't make money off the dinners." Like I I I have I have clients that that have a lot of money that I cook for. And they, 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 they'll, they'll pay for a dinner that allow me to make someone else money. Like mm-hmm. they'll say, Hey, how much does it cost for you to throw one of these dinners? Oh, I'm like, yeah, the venue costs this food costs about that. And like, you know, getting stuff printed up, maybe this amount of money. And I was like, sure. Here, I'll pay for four dinners. Yeah. And they pay for four dinners. Now I get to make money for four other people. Yeah. But before, when I first started, it was never about the money because I was taking my own money doing the dinners. Yeah. Like I didn't need like, and then like I said, but it comes when you, when you, when you're doing the work and you're not chasing the money, yeah. all the other stuff comes. When, but, but when you're chasing money and money is the object, it's never going to, uh, it's never going to get right. I tell people all the time, like money's on the back end. You're never full. Yeah. Uh, the money is on the back end. I literally say, yeah, I'm doing this just because this is my intention. This is mm-hmm. my passion. This is what I want to do. But literally, I'll wake up with an email next week. Somebody's like, hey, man, we got a $30,000 catering, you know. <laughs> and it's like, where did cool. this come from? But it, it, it comes from the, the the intentional work that you put in. But when you when you, when you you put money as that, like, you and then when you put money as a certain place, you'll miss out on opportunities. Yeah. 
as well, too. So I, I look at sometimes when people come to me and I, I was talking with the, the gentleman before we came in here about like what this is and what this isn't. You'll have, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, this isn't a documentary. This isn't art. This isn't this. This isn't that. And then the people that are saying the opposite, it's like, oh, this isn't this is entertainment, but it's not art. And then the entertainment people say this isn't entertainment. This is art. And you're doing this back and forth. And at the end of the day, you're just doing it. Like, I'm just yeah. doing these conversations. And then you have this other side of people. Oh, why have you scaled that yet? How are you monetizing it? It's like me having the conversation is the monetization of it for yeah. me. That's the thing that has some more value. And it's like, you know, we literally just met. You know, you didn't know me from anything. You're like, who's this random guy to hit me on LinkedIn? And then you checked out something. He's like, oh, no, this is legit. Yeah, and this is a thing because you get a bunch of random people in your son. <laughs> your LinkedIn, I don't. LinkedIn has become like Facebook slash business. Like it's so fake on LinkedIn. People, be, are, people are more receptive though to talk. Though. Yeah, I will no, say that. But it's just like what cracks me up on LinkedIn. Somebody put a post up, right? <laughs> then like you just go to the comments and it's like, congratulations, yeah. blah blah blah. It's like, yo, shut up. Like, yeah. Or, or, or remember the thing with the titles? It's like, uh, I'm a food evangelist. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Get out of here. It's like everybody is doing that. And it's like, that's one thing that I I, I like. I, li- I literally get a kick out of it. I love doing it. I don't even like, I don't even like, I don't really like titles. Like, I did this, I did this exercise mm-hmm. where it was like, uh, I did, a, I had a little stint in New York where I was like, I was living up there because I was, uh, the, uh, I was the executive director for a nonprofit. Uh, called Drive Change, and uh, we were teaching formerly incarcerated youth, ages eighteen to twenty-five, culinary skills. Like yeah. I was teaching kids that was like coming directly out of Rikers, mm. and this it related like because the Kylie Browder story. Like yeah. I really like really took that like took those kids like personal because it was like I remember hearing that story about how he spent on Rikers and like talking to a lot of these kids. So literally, we had an event, and it was like. We all had name tags, but it was just like, put your name on it. Mm-hmm. Don't put your title just to see how people treat you. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. people, people like, I'm the director. People like people want to get to know you like, oh, you're the director. How you? And it's just like, yo, just get to know people. Like, yeah. like the funny thing is I've met so many people in my life that are like really like important people, yeah. but I've met them just by like conversation, yeah. like having conversations, regular conversations and like, Oh snap. The next thing you know, Oh, you do that. And you know, I, I'll say this and, and, and that's pretty much the wrap of the real questions. I got some rapid fire ones I want to throw your way, but I'll throw this out there that falls into that vein. Um, I was going to a, an event, right. Where me and a group of my peers were being acknowledged for, um, a certain accolade within Baltimore. Right. Mm-hmm. And just random person was in the line thinking that I'm like giving out tickets. Like I'm the person that's the taking the tickets. And I didn't have my like winter badge on yet. And my girl like loses her brain for a minute. She was just like, hold up. What? You think he work here? And I was like, uh, I was like, this is, I was like, she's not wrong, but also like, this is wild to your point without having like this thing to denote that you're someone that matters. It's like, why based on what, like, which one is it? Is it the blackness or which, which part is it that I'm somehow subservient to you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's really odd. It's really yeah. odd or what have you. But there are other instances where you might just have a random conversation you know, which seems like, like you talked about LinkedIn a moment ago, people can't have those anymore. Yeah. You just have a regular conversation. Like, yo, this is weird, right? Yeah, I know. I've gone to like gallery openings 
And I was just sitting there with somebody that turned out to be like a major art dealer. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was just talking to them about how this whole thing sucked. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it does. And someone someone else in the background will say, you don't have any idea who that is. That person's super important. Well, I just talked to him for like 30 minutes. How did you get that conversation? I just asked. Yeah. I just talked to them. Just talked to them. And like you said, like you said, the thing on LinkedIn is people go on LinkedIn to find people. So it's like Hey, you want to do something with um, Nike? Yeah. Now you go on Nike, you go on like LinkedIn, you type Nike, then Sign. you find like the executive director of this. So yeah. people just go on LinkedIn to follow people just because of. I think it's an inroad. An inroad, like, yeah. oh, I can get in in this way when it's like you probably could get in talking to somebody else under three, yeah. four people under that just by having a conversation with yeah, them. Yeah, talk to the people that are more to your level. And, you know, I have this thing of who's a decision maker who can actually give me that sort of space because. You know, sometimes you might go a little too high, might make that weird swing. Like I'm talking to the president, it's like, mm. but you might want to talk to like <laughs> someone that's in like like marketing or someone that's in like you know a curatorial role that can kind of give you what you want. Because yeah. sometimes that that person that's at the really top top of a spot is like they may not be able to give you the answers for what you're looking for, and they may be a terrible interview. They might be really good from my perspective. They might be really good at their job, but they're terrible on mic. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, talk to the person that's good. Talk to the person that's good. So I want to hit you with some um, rapid fire questions. You know, you said you got some fresh bars for us. So I'm going to start off with this. What does hospitality mean to you? If, if in, in like three words or less, what does hospitality mean to you? Uh, service. Uh, compassion. And. That's it. Okay. That's that's it for me. I, it, think, I didn't even want to stretch it. Service and compassion. Yeah, because I find it funny. Like that's the thing that people have forgotten. The whole hospitality thing. When yeah. you look for jobs, right? And you people say front of house, back of house. It's like right there. It's telling us hospitality. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your twelve hundred plus cookbook. We have twelve hundred plus books, rather. Out of that, out no, of that's the, just cookbooks. I got way more oh, books. Sh- that's just cookbooks. So just cookbooks. Yeah. <laughs> what if if there was Lord forbid if there was like a fire. What is the one cookbook that you're like, I need to sad, save this sad, one? Sad Bane's uh, uh, Too Many Chiefs, Not Enough Indians. Okay. So he's 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 Indian, uh, and he, he's he's like based out in the UK, and he has a uh, his restaurant is called Sad Bane's with Rooms, mm-hmm. two star Michelin restaurant. But uh, he's just like a cool fucking dude. But it's like he, he he's like his the book is actually like a coffee table like style book. Yeah. Um, and pretty much you take it out, uh, out like the, the the graphics, everything. Uh, like I like half the time when I buy cookbooks now, it ain't even about like recipes. I don't read recipes. Yeah. I don't really fuck about that. It's usually <laughs> I usually be like trying to understand people's philosophy. Yeah, what's the what's the thinking that goes into it? Yeah, what's the thinking that goes into it? Because the thinking and and like if I see something, it's like, oh, how did you do that technique? Like, mm-hmm. what was the thought process behind that technique? But other than that, it's just like. Now it's just to the point where, like, I'm actually a collector now. So yeah. it's like I'm buying books, 70s, 80s, early 1900s, but it has to be, like, a first edition, second or third edition. Or it has to be, like, a limited print from an edition. So, yeah. yeah. I dig that. Uh, so I got two more for you. Um, name an unusual pizza top. Name an unusual topping you've put on a pizza. Because I saw pizza in your background. So I want to ask about that. Yeah. Um... Like something you consider unusual. I can't really. 
Because not, not, nothing's really, nothing was really out of the box for me. I, like I feel as though certain things, if you can put sardine, I mean anchovies on the pizza, mm-hmm. not too much is out of the box for for me really. Because I um, made a seafood pizza, mm-hmm. but pretty much, but uh, just the way that is with like sauce, like cheese, and actually like doing certain things. It pretty much was just like a. a Cheese was baked on it first, yeah. and then uh, the vodka sauce, and then it was like crab, shrimp, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, grated uh, uh, Parmesan cheese over top. So, but other than that, like nothing's really off limits. Nothing's off limits. I'm gonna put you onto my my go to pizza. I haven't had it in a while, but my go to toppings. It's ridiculous. It's uh, you know, extra cheese. You know, fat. Uh, <laughs> spinach, broccoli, and gorgonzola. Oh, that, that's hot. Uh-huh. I would throw some grapes in there too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. S- like sweetens to cut it up. Stay off of Whole, yeah. Whole Foods. Yeah. Now that might <laughs> the crazy thing about it. Grapes might be a weird topping for pizza. No, I see. Instead of the grapes, because the sweetness thing, you got a point. Because there's some Funko Gorgonzola. Yeah. I would try to look for a way to get like a reduced like bluebird. I'm, I'm just being a nerd. I'm being a nerd now. Are you cheesing out. Cheese. I, well, this is this is what I do. Reduced like blueberry sort of like compote or something yeah. on there. So 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 it was funny. So. I did put uh like uh so the pineapple and pizza thing. Oh. So what I what Political. I tell people is when people was doing pineapple and pizza, what they do is they'll just take fresh pineapple or canned pineapple mm-hmm. and put it on pizza. Mm-hmm. They put moisture. it in the oven. It's gonna extrude too much more. So you gotta change the 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 DNA of the pineapple. Pretty much you gotta do something to it before you put it on pizza. So what I was doing was caramelizing it. So I would uh yeah. uh caramelize it, but it also since we don't I don't eat pork, mm-hmm. uh beef bacon reduce it renders a lot of fat. Mm-hmm. So caramelize it in the beef bacon fat. Mm-hmm. And once that the sweetness and then put it on the pizza. It unifies it, it. It was a it was a better it was a way better finish than just putting raw pineapples on it because once you do that is all it also goes from like it could be cold or a certain temperature mm-hmm. depending on how they store the pineapples yeah. and if you're just especially if you're taking the pineapples out of a bane on top of a thing and you're dressing it up the pineapples will be cold so if you're putting cold pineapples on it. And then you put it in the pizza and it brings up temperature. It's just weird. It's weird texture. Yeah. And then the pineapple actually probably has to be cooked to a certain amount of degrees just to get like the chalkiness, yeah. that like that little flavor out of it. So pretty much that's that's my only thing with pineapples on pizza. You really got to like change the DNA of it before you put it on the pizza. Okay. That, that, that makes sense to me. Last question I got for you. Um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, that you might you might have a you know bowl of cereal. Or you might be like, oh, where's that frosted flakes at? So, on a super long day, which I have one today, when on a super long day, what is that lazy meal that you're putting together for yourself? Yeah, when I when I'm saying lazy, it is like, <laughs> where's that ramen? <laughs> it, listen, I was about to say ramen, and then it would literally be like you just put an egg in there. Put an egg in the water. That's no time you crack it. Bam, yeah. that's it. And then, um, or it's kind of lazy, but it's not as lazy. If I have taco like stuff around, yeah, like I will make like a quick like Lex- Lexican taco. Lexican. Like like <laughs> like like if I like if I had like a like if I had a platter or something from like the uh, 
like a soul food spot. Yeah. I got some collard greens left over. I'm going to take the collard greens off of it. I'll break, like, if I had some pieces of chicken, I'll yeah. break, like, I'll make a whole taco. <laughs> you like making a soul taco. <laughs> yeah, soul yeah. taco. Yeah. And, and, and that'd be it. But, like, if that's, and if I'm too tired for all of that, if it is some cereal, I am eating cereal. Like, that's, that's usually, like, that's usually, like, the go-to, especially if it's too late. But I, but now the way I've been, like, training and eating stuff, I don't even eat past 8 o'clock. So it's just, like, yeah. But if I had to, like, cereal might be, like, the number one thing. It's like Frosted Flakes, Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> I'm an old man when it comes to cereal. Like, I'm like, where's that? What is it? Uh, where, where's that uh, Bran Flake? The Bran Flakes. <laughs> Yo, like, I'm like, where's these unsalted, unsugared Wheaties? Uh, uh, Cheerios. <laughs> uh, son. <laughs> no, Honey Nut. Give me the regular ones. The Honey yeah. Nut are a bit much. Yeah, the, yeah, it got to be the Honey Nut. If it's going to be Cheerios, got to be Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, I, so, I remember my little brother used to actually put, like, sugar on. I'm like, yo, bro. Son, less. Bro, I'm like, yo. You 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 about to have diabetes, man. You got to cool out, man. <laughs> so 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 with it, um, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. We're gonna wrap up here. I want to thank you for being on this podcast, and I want to invite and encourage you to tell the folks where to check out you, your website, and you know see all the good work that you're doing. Uh yeah, so um, you can hit me up on Instagram, uh, Kurt Cooks. Uh, my website is uh, uh dot com, and like I said, we cater. Uh, we do like social events. Um, everybody eats. We do like food givebacks and drives. And I'm in the process of uh, authoring a cookbook uh, called uh, Platter Food. So um, follow me for more of that. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Chef Kirk Evans for coming on. Kurt Evans for coming on. And uh, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is uh, activism, chefs. Just really don't people doing things in your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Oh, 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 oh,